In verses 18 through 20, he says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And so we've been looking at this. There's obviously different parts to the Great Commission. The first part, he says, is to go. And with that going, he says, I want you to uh, understand when you go, uh, you, have, you have the authority to go. Jesus Christ says, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Uh, so we have the authority to go, but we also have the command to go. Uh, Jesus Christ has commanded us. This is not just uh, an option. This is a command that we are to obey. We are to go, and we are to try to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then the second part, he says, and teach all nations. So going is the first part, uh, and that requires action, requires us to do something. Uh, But then he says we are to teach all nations. Uh, Again, Mark 16, 15 says we are to preach uh, unto the gospel, unto every creature. Uh, that teaching all nations has the idea of, um, of trying to make disciples, to make followers. Uh, again, we're not talking about trying to make followers or disciples of ourselves, but of Jesus Christ. We're teaching them about Jesus Christ, what he has done for them, and uh, that how they can be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we were kind of looking at this uh, last week about how we are to uh, win people. That's really the second um, part. We are to go, but then we are to win them. Um, again, please, please understand as we go through this tonight, we understand we cannot save them. We don't have the power to save anybody, right? We're commanded to go and we're to teach them about the one who can save them. We're to teach them about Jesus Christ. We don't teach them about a religion. We don't teach them about a denomination. We are to teach them about Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is the one who is able to save them from their sins. We cannot save them, right? And here's the thing that we have to understand. Our responsibility is not to save them. Our responsibility is to go. That's our responsibility. We are to go. And if we will go and we will try to tell them about Jesus Christ, the However they respond, whether they accept Christ or whether they reject Christ, that is, that is upon them, right? That's not upon us, okay? um, I know many people think, well, if I go and I tell somebody about Jesus Christ and they don't get saved, then I have failed. Wait a minute, how have you failed? He said, go. Did you go? Yes, I went. Did you teach them? Yes, I taught them. Did they accept? No. Then you haven't failed. You have succeeded, You say, how did I succeed? They didn't accept Christ. You succeeded in your responsibility. It's not up to you to save them, right? That's up to the Holy Spirit of God and up to Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can save them. Our responsibility is simply to tell them, okay? Now, we want to make sure that we explain it clearly so that they understand what it is they are either accepting or rejecting. But if somebody rejects Jesus Christ, you are not a failure, right? You're not a failure. Let me ask you this question. Was Jesus a failure? Come on. Was Jesus a failure? Okay. Everybody that Jesus talked to followed him. So why would we think that we're a failure if we can't help somebody come to Jesus Christ? If not everybody that Jesus talked to chose to follow him, he wasn't a failure. You see, that is why it is a personal choice. It's a person's choice whether they choose to accept to follow Jesus Christ or not to, right? But our responsibility is simply to go and to tell them about Jesus Christ, okay? That's what our responsibility is. How many of you have ever heard of the word proselytize? Proselytize, right? You're proselytizing, right? I actually didn't even know what that word meant. I'm going to be honest with you. I've heard that word. I, had no, I thought it was like, you know, um, soliciting, right? Uh, I thought, you know, proselytizing and soliciting were the same thing. I found out they're not the same thing. Soliciting is more like selling something, right? So you'll see a sign, no solicitors, right? That means they don't want any salesmen coming to the door, okay? Um, And, uh, but proselytizing is, it's not selling something. Proselytizing is actually trying to convert someone or you're attempting to convert someone from one religion or belief or opinion to another, right? 
So proselytizing is, um, I guess if you wanted to call it that, that's, that's kind of the word that people would refer to today. If you're trying to witness to somebody or tell them about Jesus Christ, you're proselytizing. Um, I don't know if, you know, some people say, well, that's, that's, not a, that's not a very kind word or whatever. I don't know. I just, it, it just means you're trying to convert them, right? You're trying to change uh, their opinion about a religion or a belief or an opinion or something. And obviously, that's exactly what we're doing. We're trying to change their opinion about something, right? We're trying to change their opinion about Jesus Christ. We're trying to change their opinion about themselves, okay? We're trying to change their opinion about how someone can be saved, Okay. Uh, obviously, if somebody is saved, they've accepted Christ as their Savior. Not, we're not trying to proselytize them. We're not trying to change their opinion about that. Uh, but we're trying to talk to those who do not know Christ as their Savior. Um, you can hold your place here in Matthew, but go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In verse number 9, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 9, he says, Wherefore, we labor. Okay? Now, again, it's important that we look at these words. It says, Therefore, wherefore, we labor. Okay? Who is we? Who is we? It's believers, right? Paul's writing to the church of Corinth. He's saying, we as believers. Wherefore, we labor. The word labor means we're working. Right, We as believers are to be working, that whether present or absent, we, who is we? Believers may be accepted of him. For we, who is we? Believers, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Right Now again, the word all here is not referring to every person in the world. It's referring to who? The we, the believers, right? We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So one day, every believer, every person that's accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior from uh, the the resurrection, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ until the time that Jesus Christ returns, those are all the believers in Christ, okay? And one day, all of those people are going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ, or what is referred to as the Bema seat, right? That's the Greek word. It's called the Bema seat. The Bema seat, when we think of judgment, we think of something negative. We think of a punishment that is coming. But a judge was not, a, was not there to punish. The judge was there to reward at the Bema seat. Okay? Um, that's why when you look at competitions and things, uh, whether it's in the Olympics or things like this or boxing, all the things, what, what do you have on the side? You have different people that are watching and they're, they're grading. And what are they doing? They're judging. They're judges. Does that mean they're going to pronounce a judgment upon somebody? No. It means they're going to reward someone. They're going to be rewarding someone, uh, whoever wins, right? So this is what the, the judgment seat of Christ is. Jesus Christ is going to be rewarding those who have served. And notice what it says, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So God says, if we have done good in our body, again, this is not talking about sin. If we have sin in our life, we can't be at the judgment seat of Christ. This is only for people who have accepted Christ as their Savior. Okay? So he says, every one of us is going to receive what we have done, whether good or bad. We'll either receive our rewards or loss of reward, but we're still going to be at the judgment seat of Christ. We're still saved. But then notice what he says in verse number 11. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we have to understand that if a person rejects Jesus Christ or if a person dies without Christ, we understand that they will spend eternity in the lake of fire. And he says, knowing the terror of the Lord, what does he say there? Next three words. We persuade men. Again, who is we? Oh, that's you, pastor. Oh, that's the deacons. That's the missionaries. No, no, no. The we there is the same we that we've been looking at, right? Friends, we have to understand that every one of us as Christians has a responsibility to witness for Jesus Christ. It's not just the pastor. It's not just the deacons. It's not just the missionaries. It is we, every single believer in Jesus Christ. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. 
This is what he's saying. We ought to be so concerned about people that we are trying to bring people to Jesus Christ and point people to Jesus Christ. Yes, we understand they're not all going to be saved. I wish that I could say that every person that I have shared the gospel with has gotten saved. They haven't. And every person that you share the gospel with is not going to get saved. But here's the thing. You have still done what you're supposed to do. What they have to do is choose whether to accept it or reject it. And that is on them. What is on us is whether we have been obedient to go and to teach, to try to win them to Jesus Christ. We are to persuade men. Uh, go over to, with me to the book of Acts chapter 26. In Acts chapter 26... Paul is standing before um, Agrippa, King Agrippa, and he's basically giving his testimony as his um, defense, right? Uh, he's, he's in prison. He's been brought before um, Agrippa here, and he's basically telling his testimony about how he came to know Christ as his Savior, um, he says in verse number 14, And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the prince. What's, what's he talking about? He's talking about that day that he met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. He's sharing his testimony with King Agrippa, right? And he's sharing his testimony. And then he begins to tell King Agrippa about uh, these different things and about Jesus Christ and how he was uh, crucified and how he was buried and how he rose again, right? And then notice down in uh, uh, verse number 16, For the king knoweth of these things, before whom also I speak freely, for I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him, for this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. So he's sharing his testimony. He says, King Agrippa, don't you believe what the prophet said? Don't you believe these things? And watch what he says in verse number 28. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. As far as we know, King Agrippa did not accept Jesus Christ as his Savior. Did Paul fail? No, Paul did not fail. Paul did exactly what he was supposed to do. He is before King Agrippa. He's sharing his testimony. He's telling about Jesus Christ and how King Agrippa can have a personal relationship with Christ as well. And even King Agrippa says, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Now, we don't know everything that was in King Agrippa's heart. We don't know what was going on there, but we know what he said. Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Now, watch what Paul says. And Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am. Paul says, I wish, King, that it wasn't just an almost. I wish you would put your faith in Christ. I wish you would be like me. I wish you would do what I did that day on the road to Damascus and put your faith in Jesus Christ. I wish you'd do that. What's he doing? He's trying to persuade the King Agrippa to put his faith in Christ. I want to show you a video clip. It's about two and a half minutes of, of an atheist. Some of you may know this man or you may have heard of him. His name is um, Penn Jillette. Have you ever heard of Penn Jillette? He's a very well-known man throughout the world. He's uh, like an illusionist. He does tricks and illusions and things like this. Um, he is an atheist, says very openly, I do not believe in God. I, I don't believe there's a God. Don't believe in heaven. Don't believe in hell. Don't believe in any of this stuff. After one of his shows, and um, the video clip is much longer, and so I just want to explain what you're seeing when it comes on. After one of his shows, uh, Penn Jillette said that this man came up to him after the show and said, I really like your show, and I'd like to give you a Bible, and began to try to share uh, Christ with Pendulette. This man is a businessman, uh, had been to one of his shows, um, saw some of the tricks and illusions and things that he did. Um, and so this is Pendulette's testimony about this guy. But also, I think it's very important that you hear what an atheist says about a Christian who does not try to win people to Christ. Let me show it. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. 
And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive. And he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. But this guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, like to show and so on. And then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there's no God, and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, but I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man, and uh, that's really important. And with that kind of goodness, uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff, but man... That was a good man who gave you that book. That's all I wanted to say. That's an atheist. Doesn't believe there's a God. I mean, he said it. I know there's no God. Now, he's wrong. There is a God. I know there's no God. But he said, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. Because he said, if you truly believe in heaven and hell, you truly believe in everlasting life, you truly believe that if somebody dies without whatever you're saying and they're going to spend eternity in hell, and this is what he said, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate someone to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? Folks, that's not coming from a Christian. That's not coming from a preacher. That's coming from a man that cares nothing about God. It says, how can you call yourself a Christian? How can you say that you believe in heaven and hell? How can you say that you believe in everlasting life and not tell somebody about that? He said, he cared enough about me to proselytize. Do you understand what he's saying? When we do not share the gospel with other people, what we are in essence saying is we do not care whether you die and go to hell or not. That's kind of serious. How much do you have to hate somebody to not tell them about everlasting life? If you really believe it, if you really believe it, how much do you have to hate them to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them? Even the world, an unbelieving world, expects Christians to at least try. 
at least try. Do we even try? Do we even try? Now, please understand, and, and he, made some very, he made some very good points about this. He said this man was not offensive, right? He said, and, and he repeated this several times, he, this man was very kind. He looked me in the eyes. He was not offensive. He, he wasn't in Penn Jillette's face saying, you're going to die and burn in hell, man. No, that's not what he did. He said he was very kind. He was not offensive, but he cared enough to start this conversation with me. He cared enough to give me this Bible and try to tell me about what he believed. He wasn't offensive. He was kind. He was nice. I wonder, would that, would that be said of, of you and I as Christians? That, that man is kind. They're, that lady is nice. Yes, they're trying to share Jesus Christ, and maybe I don't believe it, but they, they are the best people. How many times did he say, that was a good man? That was a good man. That was a good, I don't believe it. I, I know there's no God, but that was a good man. Why? You know what he's saying? Because he actually acted upon what he believed. He acted on what he believed. When we try to share Christ with people, and we should. This is what Paul was saying. He said, I'm trying to persuade you, King Agrippa. That's why he said, we, we ought to persuade people. We as Christians, we ought to be trying to persuade. Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. We, know, we believe that there is a real heaven and a real hell. We believe in everlasting life. But do we share that with other people? You see, that's this second part of the Great Commission. We are to go, but then we are to teach all nations. We're to tell them about Jesus Christ in a kind manner. In a kind manner, in a nice way, in a way that is not rude and, and mean. We, we have this idea that if we're sharing Jesus, with some, somehow, somehow we, have to be really, we have to be really mean and hard. Where, where did you get that idea from? If you want to talk about compassion and mercy, look at Jesus Christ. We'll, say, well he was mean and hard to the religious leaders. To the religious leaders of the day because they were leading people astray. I'm, I'm, I'd probably be pretty safe to say most of us are not talking to religious leaders. Most of us are just talking to common, ordinary people, just like you and me. We need to be kind. We need to be nice. But yet we ought to be willing to tell them about Jesus Christ because we care enough about them because we know that they're going to spend eternity in hell. Do we care enough about them? So how do we share Christ with someone? I want to go through four things tonight really quick. And I, I want you to help me because we're going to think through this together. Because if we're going to teach people about Christ, we have to know what it is we're supposed to teach them about Jesus Christ. Right? Now, obviously, if there is somebody that doesn't know anything about the Bible or things like this, um, you know, you may have to go back to Genesis and teach them that God created everything and all this. But for the most part, I think these four things will enable us to help to share Christ with other people. Okay? And these are the things that we have to be willing, we have to know and be willing to share with them. Right? So here's the first thing. We have to understand sin. We have to understand sin. Right? The person that we're talking to, we have to help them understand that they are a sinner. That they are not good. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to help them understand that they are a sinner, right? Here, here's the thing. If, if I was to tell you that uh, the, the fire trucks are outside ready to put out the fire of the building, 
And you look around and you're like, uh, Pastor, there's no fire. What, what good was that news to you? Not really worth anything, is it? Because there's, there's no fire. But if there was a roaring fire blazing and, and we had to get out of here really fast and I said, hey, get outside because the fire trucks are out there. They're ready to put out the fire. That would be much better news, wouldn't it? Because there's actually something that's dangerous taking place. We have to understand that in order for people to truly understand the good news of the gospel, they have to understand the bad news. The bad news is we're not good. And here's the problem. We like to think we're good. That's why you talk to me. You, you talk to people and ask them, hey, do you, do you think if you died today, you go to heaven? Well, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure I would. Why? Well, I'm a good person. Didn't I see your wanted poster at the post office or, you know, you know, everybody thinks they're a good person. I don't, in, in all the years that I have witnessed to people and talked to people, I can only remember one person in my entire life. And this was much younger when I was a kid. Um, I can only remember one person actually saying, I am a, I am not a good person. If I died, I know I'm going to go to hell. In all, in all the years that I've told people about Jesus Christ, I can only remember one person. Everybody else says, yeah, I'm a pretty good person. You know what we have to help them understand? They're not a good person. That they're a sinner. That Jesus Christ says that they're a sinner. Now, how do we help them understand that they're a sinner, that they're not good? How do we help them understand that? Come on, I said I'm going to need your help tonight. Brother Brad? Hey, that's a good one. Have you ever told a lie? <laughs> Who hasn't told a lie? Right? Now, you're going to find some jokes and be like, no, I've never told a lie. And you're like, whatever. You just did. Right? All right. How else do we help them to understand that, they, that they're a sinner, that they're not good? Ms. Patty? Tell them that you are. Tell them that I am? Oh, yeah, yeah, share, through sharing your testimony. Explain how you were a sinner, right? Lucas? Ask them if they're happy. Oh, that's a good question. Ask them if they're happy. Are you actually happy in life? Are you happy with what's going on? Good. Miss Marilyn? Ah, show them Romans 3.23. What does Romans 3.23 say? I think, one of the young, I think one of the young people quoted it tonight. What is it? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You see, there, there you go, right away. You're able to take them to the word of God and show them how God sees sin. God says we're all sins, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What does Romans 3.10 say? Romans 3.10 says there is none righteous, no, not one. In verse number 12, he says there is none good, no, not one. What are we doing? We're trying to help them understand that they are not good in the eyes of God. Because until they understand that they're a sinner, do they need a Savior? Think about it. Until they understand that they're a sinner, do they need a Savior? No. They will never recognize that they need a Savior until first they understand that they're a sinner. And so we're trying to help them to come to know that they're a sinner, right? Romans 3.10. Uh, if, you don't, if you don't have these verses written down somewhere, I would encourage you to write them down right now. Write them down so that you can go back and look at them later. Romans 3.10, as it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.12, there's none good, no, not one. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And why is it so important that we use Scripture? Why is it important that we use the Word of God? Because it has authority. The word of God is powerful, the Bible says. It's quick and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, right? God's word is what we need. Because again, let's face it. Who are you and I to say that somebody is not good? We're nobodies, right? I mean, we're not even good ourselves. But our authority comes from God. And what God says is true. And that's why you have to take them and help them to see. Do you know that God says that we're not good? Not one person is good. Nobody is good. We are all sinners, right? 
So we're trying to help them understand, hey, if I'm going to try to teach them about Jesus Christ, I need to help them to understand that they are a sinner, right? So the first thing that I need to explain to them is sin, right? That's the first thing. Say it with me, sin. It's a really hard word, three letters, sin, right? I'm trying to make this easy for you so you can remember it, okay? Right? We got four things. That's it. I think you can remember all four of these things. And to make it really easy for you, three of them all start with the same letter. I know, I'm a Baptist. Everything has to start with the same letter, right? I couldn't get the last one into this, but I'm sure some of you will think of a way to do that, right? So sin. Everybody is a sinner. You understand what that man was trying to explain to Pendulette there? Even though he might have fame and he might have popularity and he might have lots of money, you know what Pendulette is? He's a sinner. He's a sinner, and he needs Jesus Christ. And at least this man cared enough to try to tell him and give him a Bible, a little New Testament, and try to tell him, hey, if you ever have any questions, if you ever like to talk, please, my number's in here, my email address is in here. I'd love to share. And by the way, the guy that gave him the Bible was not a preacher. He wasn't a missionary. He was a businessman, just a businessman. But he was a businessman doing his job telling people about Jesus, right? We have to help them understand where they're a sinner. Number two, here's the second thing. Guess what it starts with? You are so smart. We have to understand separation. Number one is what? Sin. Number two is? Separation. Separation. They have to understand how God views their sin. The penalty for sin is what? Death. That's what the Bible says. How do we know that? Well, Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. Death. What is death? Death is not a, it's not a ceasing to exist. Death is, the word death simply means separation, right? When a person dies, they don't cease to exist. They are just separated. Their spirit and their soul are separated from their body. There's a separation there. And when a person dies as a sinner, they're going to be separated from God for all of eternity. They're going to be separated from God for eternity. God says that there is a payment for sin. Uh, the, the penalty for sin is death, that eternal separation from God. Now, here's what religion has tried to tell people. Yes, even though you might be a sinner, even though you might have some sins and you might not be a, a, a good person, you've done some bad things, but really at heart you are a good person. But just, just to be able to make sure that you're okay, um, you know, just keep doing good things and, and all your good things will be able to outweigh your bad things. Friend, if you just listen to the first part that you're a sinner and that you aren't good, you have no good things to weigh out your bad things. You have no good to outweigh your bad because it's all bad, right? This penalty for sin, right? Um, we cannot pay for our sin. There's nothing we can do. I know some churches teach, well, if you just pay, pay a certain amount and, and go to this person and ask him to forgive your sins, he can do that. Or if you give enough money in the offering, or if you go to church enough times, or if you're good enough, or you say so many prayers or whatever, you'll be able to get your sins forgiven. No, friend, you cannot pay for your sin. And they have to understand this. We have to help them understand. Because of our sin, there is separation. We are separated from God. We're separated from God. When did this begin? When did the separation begin? In the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, what happened? They were separated. They died. Right? And that what God said? The day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. Guess what happened that day after they ate the fruit? They died. Now, physically, they lived another 930 years, but spiritually, they died that day. They were separated from God. No longer could they have that fellowship and that unity with God anymore. They were separated, right? We have to understand that there's a consequence for sin, that sin, there, there is a payment for sin, right? And so because we cannot pay for our sin, because we cannot, I mean, let's, let's think about it. So let's say that you could uh, somehow, and, and I've asked people, um, how many good things do you have to do to pay for one sin? You know what their answer is? I don't know. 
I don't know. Well, if you don't know how many good things you're supposed to do to pay for one sin, how do you know if you've even paid for one sin yet? And I know you've committed more than one sin. So if you think about all the sins we've committed in our life, how many good things are you going to have to do to actually pay for all of those sins? Well, I don't know. Well, that's not a good place to be. Now, again, we understand we can't pay for our sin, but what are you trying to do? You're trying to help them understand they cannot pay for their sin. There is a separation between them and God. Their sin is what is causing that separation. And because they cannot pay for their sin, and without payment for their sin, they're going to spend eternity separated from God, guess what they need? They need a Savior. Guess what point number three is? A Savior. You're right. What was number one? Sin. What was number two? Separation. What's number three? A Savior. They need a Savior. They need someone to save them from their sin. Again, this is what he was talking about. If you really believe in heaven and hell, you really believe in everlasting life, you really believe that Jesus is the one that can save someone from, your, from their sin, how much do you have to hate them not to tell them? So I, I don't hate them. Then why won't you tell them? If you really believe it, I mean, he said, man, if, if he said, if I saw a truck barreling down and you didn't see it and, and you didn't he, listen to me or whatever, he said, there comes a point where he said, I would tackle you. Now, please don't go out tackling people. You're going to believe, you know, no, don't, don't do that. But understand what he's saying. There comes a point in time that you've got to help them to realize this is serious. To just stand idly by and just watch the truck come and barrel over somebody. You're guilty of not warning that person. And for you and I as Christians to have the gospel message, to have the good news. I mean, think about it. Paul is there and he's before Agrippa. He could have easily said, hey, you know what? You know, I, I, I don't have time for this, man. You know, I, I, I'm in my cell. You know, you guys put me here. This is all your fault. You figure it out on your own. But no, he took the time to share with King Agrippa and all those that were before him, Felix and, and all those. He took the time to share with them his testimony, how he came to know Jesus Christ as a Savior. That it was only through Jesus Christ that someone could be saved. Do we even take the time? Do we take the time to share that there is a Savior, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins? Look, one of, one of the greatest verses that you can ever share with somebody about a Savior would be what? What is it? John 3.16. What does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What is it about? It's about a Savior. It's about Jesus Christ. God sent Jesus Christ to die for your sin, to pay for your sin. And God loves them even though they are sinners, even though we have done nothing to deserve God's love. God loves them and he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for their sin. You say, well, what if they don't believe it? That's not up to you. That's not up to you. It's not up to that man, whoever he was, that handed Pendulette a, a Bible for, for Pendulette to be saved. It's not up to him. It's up to Pendulette. It's up to Pendulette to whether, whether he believes in God or not, whether he's going to believe that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation or not. That's up to him. But he said, this man at least cared enough about me to tell me. He said, now, I don't believe it. I mean, you heard him. out of I, I know there's no God. But he said, at least this man cared enough to actually tell me. He believed it. And he was willing to tell me, I have no respect for those that do not proselytize. I have no respect for those who say they believe something, but yet they won't tell anybody else about what they believe. I'm glad that Jesus Christ is willing to come and die on the cross for my sins. And I'll be honest with you. It's not always easy to share the gospel with somebody. It's not always easy. 
And sometimes we use that excuse, like what Pendulette said. You know, some people say, well, you know, I don't want it to be socially awkward. Well, would you rather it be a little socially awkward or that person to spend eternity in hell? Because that's where they're going to go if they don't hear about Jesus Christ. We need to help them understand about sin and that they're separated from God and that they need a Savior, Jesus Christ. Again, in in Romans 6.23, what does it say? The wages of sin is death, but what? The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's not... We're not trying to get him baptized. We're not trying to get him in church and be a member. We're not, you know, we're trying to point him to Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is the only one who can save them from their sin. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. There's so many scriptures, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved through faith that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We're trying to help them understand they need a savior. They're a sinner. They're separated from God and they need a savior. What's the last thing they have to understand? Well, they understand they're a sinner. If they understand they're separated from God and they understand they need a savior. There's one more thing. They have to be willing to accept Jesus Christ. They have to accept it. In order to be saved, they have to accept it. Now, they're going to make one of two decisions. They're going to make one of two decisions. And I can tell you, they're going to make one of two decisions, right? Guess what one of the two decisions they're going to make? They're either going to accept it or they're going to... See, you already know the decisions they're going to make. It's one of two. That's it. There's only two decisions they can make. They either accept it or they reject it, right? You say, well, what if they say, well, I want to think about it? Well, that's rejecting it right then. They're rejecting it. They haven't accepted it. They're rejecting it. Now, hopefully later on they will accept it, but they've rejected it. That's it. They're going to either accept it or reject it. But again, that's not on you and me. What is on you and me is are we going to go and are we going to teach them about Jesus Christ? Are we going to go? Are we going to persuade them? Are we going to try to tell them? Are we going to try to help them understand that, look, being a good person is not enough. Being a church member is not enough. Being baptized is not enough. Look, folks, how many times have you heard me say that in my messages and things? These things are not enough. It's only through Jesus Christ. That's what they need to hear. But here's the thing. I I can guarantee you most of the people that you will probably talk to your friends, neighbors, coworkers, Most of those people have never heard a message that I've preached. Never heard. So who's going to tell them that being good or church member or being baptized or one of these other things is not going to save them? Who's going to tell them? It's you and me. We have to be willing to tell them. You say, well, I don't understand it all. I don't know how, I don't know all the right words and things. Friend, you don't have to know all the right words. You don't have to know all the right, all the right scriptures and things. If you know that you're saved and you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you know how you got saved. You know how you accepted Christ as your Savior. Do you understand what Paul did there in Acts chapter 26? He said he shared his testimony. He said, on that road to Damascus, When I was traveling to Damascus to persecute the church, that's when the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to me. That's when I got saved. He was sharing his testimony. If you're saved, every one of us has a testimony to share. Every one of us can tell how we came to know Christ, why we came to know Christ. That's what Paul did. And then we pray that they will accept him as their savior. We we, we leave that choice with them. You understand you're a sinner. You understand you're separated from God. You understand you need a savior. Then will you accept? Will you accept Jesus Christ as your savior? No, I don't believe that. Okay. 
You've done your part. Now, I would encourage you, if they reject, if this is somebody that you're around frequently or whatever, um, keep sharing the gospel with them. Just because they've rejected doesn't mean you stop sharing the gospel with them. You keep sharing, and you keep sharing, and you keep sharing, right? Until finally, either one day they're going to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, or they're just going to get so mad that they're going to say, leave me alone, don't ever talk to me again. But you keep sharing Jesus Christ with them. This is what he's saying. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. We have to go. We have the authority of Jesus Christ. He's commanded us to go. He's told us to go. How how can we say that we love Christ if we're not willing to go and tell others about Jesus Christ? How can we say that we truly believe that there is a heaven and a hell and eternal life if we're not willing to tell others about Jesus Christ? You don't have to know it all. I guarantee you, if you would just have a burden, if you would just ask God to give you a burden to share the gospel with somebody, I guarantee you the Holy Spirit can help you to know the words you need to say. By the way, that's why he gave us the Holy Spirit. And you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. That's one of the reasons why we have the Holy Spirit, to help us when we're witnessing. Because we don't know all the words to say. We don't know all the right verses to use, but the Holy Spirit does. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. We rely upon the Holy Spirit to help us. So again, if we're going to share Christ with someone, we need to help them understand some things. What was number one? Sin. We need to help them understand they're a sinner. Number two? Separation. We need to help them understand they're separated from God, how God views sin. They're going to spend eternity not just them, but every person. That was, that was us too. We were going to spend eternity in the lake of fire before somebody told us about Jesus Christ. We were separated. And number three, there's a Savior, Jesus Christ. He loves us so much. He's willing to come and die on the cross to save us from our sins. And if we're willing to put our faith in Him, in Him alone, not Him plus something, Not him and the church, not him and a baptism, not him and something. No, no, him alone. And we will repent of our sin and put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The Bible says he'll save us. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Aren't you glad of that? There's a Savior. But then we have to give them the choice. Will you accept this or will you reject it? Are you going to put your faith in Christ? Hey, the whole purpose of what we're doing is trying to lead them to that point where they will either accept or reject. Will you accept Christ or will you reject Christ? I don't know who that man was. But I know he did his job. He did his job. Pendulette did not get saved because of that. But that man did his job. And maybe because of what that man did, maybe God will use that in Pendulette's life to help him realize there really is a Savior and there really is a God. And one day you're going to meet him. Are you going to meet him as a child of God? Or are you going to meet him lost? separated and spend eternity in the lake of fire. This is that command that we are given to go and teach all nations. We go and we try to win them to Jesus Christ. They need to understand they're a sinner. They're separated. There's a savior. And then we give them the opportunity to either accept or reject Jesus Christ. And we just pray and pray that God works in their heart that they'll accept Not everyone will. You have to be prepared for that. Not everyone will. But some will. Some will. Can I tell you? I don't know how many people the Lord has allowed me to to lead to Christ. I don't. I don't don't keep track. I don't keep numbers. But I can tell you this. There is nothing greater other than the day that I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. There's nothing greater on this earth than being able to share the gospel with someone and see them put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. There's nothing greater. Because you saved them? No. You didn't save them. 
Jesus did. But you had the opportunity to help them to come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And to know that because they've accepted Christ, they're going to be in heaven for all of eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I tell you, if you've never, if you've never led someone to Christ, I'm telling you, you are missing out on one of the greatest blessings in the world. One of the greatest blessings. Say, am I always going to be able to win somebody to Christ? No. But we are commanded to go. You know, there's missionaries. We get reports. Some countries, hundreds of people coming to know Christ. We get reports from missionaries in some countries where no one's coming to know Christ. Years and years and years of labor. Nobody comes to know Christ. Have they failed? Oh, no. They haven't failed. They've done exactly what God has commanded them to do. And by the way, they will be rewarded for their faithfulness. Though they may have not seen as many people come to know Christ as somebody else, they will be rewarded for their faithfulness and obedience to Jesus Christ more than those who just say, well, I'm just not even going to go. I'm just not even going to tell. They'll be rewarded more because they obeyed. They went and they helped to plant the seed. And by the way, the Bible says, one of you can plant the seed, one of you can water the seed, but guess what? Who gets the increase? God. God gets the increase. We have to go. And we have to teach them. We have to tell them about sin, separation, Savior, and give them the opportunity to accept. Father, I pray you'd help us, Lord. What a powerful testimony from a man that does not even believe there is a God. Lord, convicting that a man who does not believe in God would say, I have no respect for people who say that they do and yet will not proselytize. I have no respect for somebody who calls themselves a Christian and will not tell somebody about Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would help us to take this responsibility seriously. Lord, we may not win many to Christ, but Lord, that's, that's not up to us whether they accept or reject. Lord, our responsibility is to go and to tell them. To tell them about Jesus Christ. Tell them that they're a sinner in a kind way. Tell them they're separated from God. But tell them there's a Savior who loves them and wants to save them from their sin if they will simply accept and put their faith and trust in Him. Lord, help us to be better witnesses for You. You've given us the command to go. Lord, help us to do a better job at going and telling people about Jesus. With their heads bowed and their eyes closed, we're just going to stand quietly tonight. The piano's going to play softly.